Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think that's part of everyone's DNA. Helping and giving makes you feel good. And quite often when we are focused on our own things and, and not really opening up to, to other people and assisting others is when we're not living our full self. That is Joel Pilgrim. And this is episode 209 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Welcome to episode 209 of the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you for being here. Today's episode is number 209 with uh, founder and CEO of the Waves of Wellness Foundation, Joel Pilgrim. You can find him on Twitter. His name is Joel, J-O-E-L-S, Pilgrim, as in someone who goes to see someone about enlightenment. Joel S. Pilgrim. That's who he is on Twitter. More about Joel in a moment. Thanks very much to everybody that sent me some fantastic pictures this week um, uh, of a podsy, a P-O-D-S-I-E. A podsy is a picture of whatever it is you're looking at while you listen to this right now. And I'm pretty sure you're listening to this on a phone. So whip out your phone, take a photo of whatever it is you're looking at right now and send it to me. Send us your email at gmail.com is my email address. I've got some brilliant ones this week. Um, there was somebody uh, look, watching the IBIS um, live in their new environment of the uh, of Enmore Park in Sydney. Um, I've got a photo from a deck chair on the deck of the Surveyor's Hut along the Three Capes track down in Tasmania. Someone going for a hike. Uh, someone going for a walk on the shores of Lake Te'anu in New Zealand. And um, someone sent me a photograph of them on their bike trainer down in the garage on their Zwift training. Um, so a lot of people doing a lot of different things as they listen, whatever you're doing, I'd love to find out about it uh, and share it with everybody else that listens as well. Cause you know, we all do this together. We all listen to it alone, but we listen to it together. So shoot it to me, send us your email at gmail.com or get me on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, I'd love to know where you're listening to where you're listening. And, um, it's always great to hear. It's always great to hear. I, I do, do want to ask one more thing this week. If you'd be so kind as to tell one other person about this show, um, that's all I ask. It'd be really kind of say, Hey, did you hear that interview the, uh, with Barry Dubois? 
that was a goodie. Or Alicia Malone, that was another goodie. Or maybe if you go all the way back to the early episodes, uh, Yumi Steins, that was a really good one. It's like five years ago now, but it was a really good one. Just if just tell one other person about this show this week, please, because the more people we get listening to this show, the better guests I can get, the better shows for you, you see? It's a selfless yet selfish act. <laughs> no, it'd be great if you could, if you could really help me out. I hope you're good this week to check in. I'm, I'm okay. I had a bit of a relapse the other day. That was a surprise. I was going really well, and then I got unexpectedly triggered quite intensely out of the blue. Not triggered like social media triggered, like, oh, you read something that made you upset. Blah. No, like actual proper triggered. Um, or I slipped down the black well of fear once again, um, like I'm in the bottom of the silence of a lamb's hole. Um, <laughs> I was there for a little while. I wasn't expecting it. It did sneak up on me, and it took me a while to find my way back up to fresh air. Uh, what was interesting this time around was it, it was not only uh, the pain in my head, as my body joined the party. The psychosomatic pain was really interesting. It manifested in, you know, I've got dodgy hips right now, right? So, but one of them just flared up so full on. It was sort of the touch. It was hard to walk, and you know, and, and it hurt until the head pain passed. Isn't that wild? Your body joins in. Really. But I, you know, did what I knew I had to do. I uh, checked in. I talked to my wife about it. I did some yoga, um, some physical activity. Um, I grabbed some paper and I wrote it all down. Um, these things always help me. Checking in with someone, uh, well, not only just to let someone else know what's going on, but also to reality check a bit. Like, is, the, is the world ending? No. Okay. Just, no, are you sure? Cool. Can you look outside? Look, sure. Okay, cool. All right then. Just in my head. Um, and the physical activity is also really helpful. Uh, it's good to get a sweat on and also quite humbling. I haven't done yoga in a while, a long time. Nowhere near as strong or bendy as I used to be. It's nice to get my humility handed to me uh, when I was in that state of head space. That was good. Um, and then I just wrote it all down. I just wrote it all down. Just wrote all the stream, stream of consciousness catastrophizing down. Wrote it all out. Let all the fear go out down on the page. And eventually, after a while the rationalizations start to emerge and then it's kind of easy to see past the all-consuming fear and then what do you know then it starts to lift and then I can see the sky again and my hip doesn't hurt so much and kind of passed it was a surprise because I'm I've been doing really well and I, I was thinking about talking to my doctor about going down on my meds again because I've been doing so well I guess, you know, if, if that's going to happen, I do remember that these things do happen from time to time. I just have to have faith that they don't last and I know what to do when they come and I always feel better in a few hours, sometimes a few days. But it, when you're in it, it's, it's hard to remember that, as I'm sure you can appreciate and I'm sure you can uh, relate to. So it's, it's, good to, uh, it's good to be back. <laughs> Uh, it's good to be back. I'll be right as rain by tonight. I'm still a little itchy, but I'm uh, way better than I was. In this period of the conversation you and I are having right now, let me tell you about my guest today. Joel Pilgrim is the founder and CEO of Waves of Wellness, of the Waves of Wellness Foundation. You can find him on Twitter, Joel S. Pilgrim, J-O-E-L-S-P-I-L-G-R-I-M. Joel also works very closely with One Wave is All It Takes, who have featured on this show before. Joel's a surfer. 
who has a real deep passion in his heart for helping others, particularly in the mental health space. He worked for a while as an occupational therapist for mental health patients transitioning back to life after hospitalisation, and he now runs a program called Waves of Wellness. Joel and his team are pioneering evidence-based surf therapy interventions in mental health. It's really fascinating stuff, and it works. And I can't wait for him to tell you about it. It's a great story. I'm glad I can have him on the show today, and I'm glad you're here for it. Let's have a chat with Joel. Hey, Joel, how you going? Good, mate. How are you travelling? I'm, I'm okay, mate. Thank you. I'm just drinking the first coffee I've had in about four days. I'm, I'm impressed that you've been able to hold off. It's pretty good. I'm not <laughs> going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to try and just see if I can just let, let that be it for, for, for the day. Yeah, it's a little skull. It's a funky cup. Yeah, I got it in Melbourne, as you do. Um, well, thanks for coming on. I know we've been trying to do this for a while. But um, I really appreciate it. Uh, there's a lot going on in uh, in your life at the moment. You're doing a lot of wonderful things. Absolutely. And same for yours, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's been almost a year in the making, but it's uh, going yeah, to be. Yeah, it has. It has. Well, I've, I, I've quit the radio job. Was that hard to quit? It was. It was the first job I've quit since Channel V. Yeah, wow. Which was tough. Back in the OG days. It's really, yeah. It was the AG days. Um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was tough, you know, because... Um, you know, you work your whole life to get a breakfast radio job yeah. uh, as a radio announcer. I've been in radio since I was 20. Your face is too good to be put behind. <laughs> it's got to be on oh, TV, mate. But, Joel, but I love radio, man. I love it. I love the immediacy of it. I love yeah, right. it's very very nimble form of broadcasting. Mm. Um, you can't, unless you're, you know, at a news desk, you can't really change tack in the middle of a TV show like you can with a radio show. Like, say something like really full-on goes down in the city, you, you can go... <laughs> Okay, we're not playing any songs for the next half hour. We're just going to put calls to air of what's going on, all right? But on, on TV, you can't do that. You, you're beholden to ad breaks and you're beholden to, you know, format and, yeah. and, and you know, people have tuned in for a news show, but suddenly you've got, you know, say if, if we get someone on the phone and they start opening up about, I don't know, say, you know, so one of our phoners starts opening up about a topic completely different from what we were talking about, but it's the phones then just light up. We'll go with that. Mm. And you can do that in radio. Yeah. You can't really do that. In so television. you can be nimble. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Right. Like I said, it's a nimble form of broadcasting, but uh, it's it's a it's a bummer to say goodbye to it in that in that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was a lot of stress about it. A lot of stress about quitting a job. I, I tell you what, your your mental health must be better for leveling out a bit more. Though. <laughs> <laughs> you know oh, I was so stressed the week I quit. Really? Yeah, because you know, as someone who's uh, you know, I, I like to keep busy so I don't have to be alone with my head and you know then suddenly looking at twice as much time on my hands yeah. <laughs> what do I do <laughs> exactly. I'll give you some ideas <laughs> <laughs> so sitting in that very chair has been um Grant Trebrek Trebilco Trebilco sorry the legend copy. himself yeah he's he's been in that chair he's he's um the founder of one wave is all it takes how did you come to be involved in one wave is all it takes we met in the second week so a buddy said to me mate you love mental health you love surfing and you love dressing up and being an idiot so why don't you go down there and meet him and then we were best mates ever since and and formed one wave and and sort of grew it to four years working together and then ever ever since then it's the next chapter now with waves of wellness and we're working in partnership yeah. so it's really, really exciting how, stuff. How did you come to work in the mental health area? Because you were doing work with some like really early, early intervention stuff, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. So early days was um, occupational therapist in the Bondi Community Mental Health Centre. 
So all kinds of different mental health diagnoses, um, like psychosis, schizophrenia, bipolar, basically getting people back on track to functioning a normal life and being able to get involved in everything that we do and take, quite often take advantage of and take for granted. Um, but I guess I got into that field from just a real, real passion with helping people and I, I wanted to be able to, uh, truth be told, I actually fell into the role of occupational therapy by chance. I wanted to be a physio on the world tour for surfing, go around and help a few athletes that I was friends with and, and come around the world and you know, get barreled in the process. But you know, one thing after the other, I, I discovered that mental health was a part of OT and I was like, that's me. And there's been some mental health challenges in my family over the years and it's been something that I'm really passionate about and it's sort of evolved and turned into this really beautiful thing. So when you say, you know, people uh, with psychosis and things like that in Bondi, you, you tend not to think that this super high-profile suburb, an enormously affluent suburb, mm. uh, has people like that living within the community. Um, but, you know, you look at the numbers, people like that live in every community. Mental health does not discriminate. Sure doesn't. Mm. Sure doesn't. But what, so what, what does that look like? Does that, like, say, for example, um, there's, you know, we take for granted that we can go to the supermarket, be in public, have face-to-face interactions with the deli people trying to get you half a kilo of chicken or whatever yeah. and then, you know, have all the music and the noise and everything in there and then check out and, you know, walk through, you know, do the maths to check it out, walk through the, the rest of the shopping mall with all those strangers everywhere and then, you know, either go to the bus or the cab or, or your car. But that is insurmountable for some people, isn't it? so overwhelming it's not achievable whatsoever for someone who's really struggling and i should correct myself by saying mental health i'm referring to mental health issues because everyone has mental health everyone has physical health Mm -hmm. you can't have one without the other but sometimes when things aren't traveling great that's when you know you ask what that looks like for someone dealing with psychosis and being actively unwell they can't leave their house for days or weeks they're not able to feed themselves potentially shower you know when it's really bad Things are are really impossible to achieve on a day-to-day basis. So my role actually as an occupational therapist is actually jumping in there and helping them move from the hospital back to home, living in the community. And I guess, you know, all things from finding a girlfriend to getting back to surfing to um, learning how to drive a car to going to the shops and not feeling anxious or overwhelmed with all the crowds like you mentioned. So it's just such a diverse role. So a lot of people may not not realise that, that, you know, there's the the fairly familiar, this person's so sick they ended up in hospital, all right? But people may not think about the other end of that. But eventually that person gets well enough to leave, mm. but they might not be well enough to, they, so they're no longer taking up a hospital bed for someone who else is in a very, uh, you know, acute situation, but they might not be well enough to be self-sufficient. And and that's where that's where someone like you comes in. Yeah. Well, I guess the hospital, the idea of hospital is foreign for people when they think about mental health issues sometimes. Mm. Oh, is there a hospital for that too? Of course there is. If you're not feeling great, you go see the doctor and the doctor might tell you you might, you might need more help. And if you're really struggling, then hospital is a great option. But once you're there, it's quite often, oh, you see them drop away at the end of the door and see you later, don't think about what happens. But they get on with life too. Yeah. So when you are dealing with someone who's just come out of, like, let's say, for example, um, let's say someone's had, like, a, a, full, a full psychotic episode and that's, you know, they've, you know, friends have either, you know, called an ambulance or they've gone in themselves mm-hmm. and, you know, after, you know, a number of days or weeks, they've been deemed to be, okay, you're kind of manageable now. Where does it start? 
how do you how do you start helping someone get back into into you know just I'm not saying getting back into the workforce. I'm just saying like getting back to the fu- the daily functions of life, doing laundry, showering, yeah. feeding yourself. Yeah, it's a great question. I guess there's no right or wrong answer for every person's different. Mm. My my take home here would be start small. Start so small that you literally you, you think, oh, that's pretty silly. I don't need to focus on that. But literally just being able to make your bed in the morning, literally being able to get up and get out of the house by... 2 p.m., you know, little things. And it's, like I said, everyone is different. So I actually work with the individual and I say, what do you want to achieve? Mm. What is it that if you didn't have anything holding you back, what would you be doing? And it's they call it a recovery-focused way of working mm-hmm. with someone where it's not about what I want to do and what I think is great for you. It's about saying, hey, Osh, what is it that you think is great? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, everything from A to Z is... You did mention something before, and it might be interesting to explore for a little while. In my first, in my first encounter with the public uh, mental health system up in Queensland, the very first thing I, I remember about being in that waiting room, the smell. Yep. All right. I remember you talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just kind of, let's just explore that for a little while. Why is showering, like, why does that go out the window when people are having because you know if you're in the street that's the thing that might freak you out before you talk to the person before you mm-hmm. you, you smell the person mm-hmm. and that kind of bo is enough to make your eyes wince and you jump to all kinds of conclusions as to why someone would smell like that and it's it's really kind of you know if you, if you could rewind back 300 years before old spice everyone smelled like that let's not forget <laughs> that but now being in public smelling like that is almost an offense to to others yeah. you know and it can be the first thing that begins the stigma or begins that oh, I'm going to treat this person differently because they stink. So can you just can we explore a little bit about why, you know, showering and personal hygiene just goes out the window when you're in that situation? Absolutely. I mean, the first, the first thing to, to note would be that when you're struggling, it's hard to do really simple things. So taking care of yourself can sometimes be a mountain of a task. So if you're feeling quite down, whether it be through experiencing all kinds of different mental health issues, the first thing that I would even do when I'm feeling down is, oh, do I have to have a shower? I can't be bothered. So if it gets to that next step, the personal hygiene does definitely go out the window. Um, Whether or not that individual is aware of it or not, who knows? Mm. In in a hospital environment, it's also that sometimes it's not a great environment. It's quite sterile and it doesn't feel comfortable and being able to be out in the bright lights is quite overwhelming. So they choose to stay in their room and, and not shower as much mm. so there's a whole lot of different factors there that would play into it but yeah personal hygiene is something that we all take for granted when we're well we just say oh yeah it's part of parcel of what we do but i've gone days without showering at times when i've just been like oh i don't have time or i can't be bothered or i've just i'm too spun out in my own mind mm. Mm. is it is it's something that a lot of people may not, as you mentioned, it's part of what we, you know, you get up, you brush your teeth before you leave the house mm. and you try and shower at least once a day. That's just, it's just a part of being in a, you know, a, a, a mechanised, you know, first world country. Usually. Usually. <laughs> That's what, you know, it's what sure. we do. But yeah, this idea of that, you know, I couldn't be bothered to get out of my jammies today mm. or I couldn't be bothered having a shower today. I couldn't be bothered having a shower today as well. And then eventually, you know, and then four or five days goes past. Yeah. You don't realize it. Right. And then, you know, it can be, uh, you know, this idea that a lot of people might not understand is that when you are, when you are sick, some, when the, 
the very the smallest things can just become, you know, I, I couldn't even bear to, to, to even address it. Mm. You know, when I think about little, little things like stupid things, some people, a version of it may be the pile of bills by the door. All right. It, you know, every time you look at it, you don't want to look at it. So mm. it just gets mm-hmm. bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, that, you know, that's a fairly relatable thing that a lot of people yeah. might. Avoidance is a coping strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Avoidance is a coping strategy. Exactly. You mentioned that, you know, helping people helps you. How? Absolutely. I think, I think that's the part of everyone's DNA. Helping and giving makes you feel good. And quite often when we are focused on our own things and, and not really opening up to, to other people and assisting others is when we're not living our full self. I guess for me, being able to give someone the opportunity to live a, I say in inverted commas, normal life, but there's a stereotype out there that, that what is normal, everyone's abnormal, by the way, but if I can help someone achieve somewhat of a normal life and be able to bring them up to, to that sort of level, I've done my job for the day. You know, being able to give someone that opportunity to experience life like we all deserve to, to experience. That, that's, a, you know, and that, that's another important thing that you, that you mentioned, that we all deserve that and a lot of us you know if particularly if if there's a, the trauma involved or something like that we may not feel that we deserve that yeah absolutely that's huge i mean if you've been through a traumatic event and and things are quite tumultuous for you the last thing you're going to do is respect yourself or or give yourself or, or value what you think you need or deserve hmm. mm. what are some things that you know we deserve Love. Yeah. Yeah. Friendships, connection, inclusion, you know, being able to get outside and, and make the most of what we have on our doorstep. You know, sometimes being outside in, in a far-fetched place is not an ideal thing. But for most Australians, we have such an amazing standard of living. Being able to soak that up and, and make the most of it is something that I think we all deserve. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we deserve happiness too. Absolutely. I'd say it's part of the, and we deserve pleasure as humans. It's, it's so much of our body is pleasure receptors. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? You know, we can't, you can't deny that. We are, we're, we're biologically created to have things feel nice. Yeah. We're meant to feel good. Yeah. <laughs> so if we deprive ourselves of feeling good, yeah, yeah. it's not a great recipe. Yeah. And it, it, it does, you know, it, it, it can make you feel less than human, and of course, and then it does become a bit of a, a bit of a down, a bit of a downward spiral. Do you mm-hmm. ever feel, you know, some obviously you're, you're, when you're doing an occupational therapy stuff, you're you're dealing with people who are who are outpatients mm-hmm. most of the time, so you know their the acute phase is is over. Do you, you know, do you ever feel? I mean, you know, it's an obvious question, but do you ever feel? A lot of people think psychosis, they think danger, they think violence. You know, do you ever feel in danger? Do you ever feel afraid? In the community, and I guess speaking to your question, I've never felt dangerous, uh, in danger in the community. I guess I've spent time on both sides. I've spent time in, um, in England, in the UK, working in a high school forensic mental health hospital, and... I can say that that was pretty scary. Well, that's a different <laughs> high security forensic mental of hospital. Course, of course, that's like people who are who ends yeah. up there. 
They're people who are unwell, really unwell, but they're, they're considered not guilty due to insanity. So they've committed some really hefty crimes and done some really damaging things, but they've done that while they're in a damaged state. Yeah. So rather than being in a prison and being held like a prisoner, they're held as a patient and in protection of themselves for other people in the community. But that is the far end. Yeah. Now, we jump ahead and we talk about the community and we talk about the stigma that's out there, and we've already talked about that today. There is so much stigma about that security and safety around someone who is unwell. And, of course, they're going to go through times when they might be a risk to themselves or to other people, and that's when support and, and help is out there. Yeah. But in terms of in general and have I ever felt unsafe in my job, once, just once. And that was just because I put myself in a really strange situation. I'm just watching Frankie have a good time with that pillow. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's just, for, my, uh, for everyone listening, um, the vet has described this is a calming behaviour. Feeling good, right? Um, it's receptors a calming behaviour. He's uh, Frankie's enjoying his pleasure receptors. That is that is his puppy bed that he had. It's it's way too small for him now, but it's come uh, with us two separate houses. And um, yeah, he will he'll 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 hump that for about ten minutes, and then he'll sleep for a few hours. I'm sorry to digress. That was just all time. <laughs> no, no, that's 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 his general thing. He has been in more than one podcast humping that thing. Um, <laughs> Sorry, where were we? It makes him feel. You were talking about <laughs> uh, one time you put you you had put yourself in a yeah. in a dangerous situation, and that's you know, and that's understandable. If anyone at work has put themselves in a dangerous situation, and and you know, it's. But it is you know when you look at the 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 pop culture depiction of mental illness, particularly the more complicated diagnoses of mental illness. You know, it doesn't make for a good film or TV show if the person who's sick is you know, it's kind of a bit weird to talk to and smells a bit. Mm. It makes for good TV and good movies if that person's kind of violent and, right. and, and witty and angry. So over-sensationalised. Yeah. And then you've got the, the movies like The Suicide Squad. And when, mm. that, when that movie came out, I was disgusted, almost like they were making the, that concept acceptable. But it's not. Why is there a squad called that? I mean, for me, watching that movie just to see what it was all about, to talk about it with my clients, I was like... That's adding to that societal stigma. You know, you've got the Silver Lining Playbook, which does it, you know, quite well with Bradley Cooper. And, and there's still elements of that film where I just crank, cringe and I'm like, oh, that's gross. Why do you have to sensationalise it so much? Well, I guess a part of it, and um, there's, a, there's a new Australian film out called What If It Works. Uh, I'm saying that? Yeah, yeah. It's about, it's about two people, one who lives with quite severe OCD and he uh, falls in love with a woman who has dissociative identity disorder. And the way that they depict her switching personality types Mm -hmm. um, is overplayed, but if you've got no concept of what's going on and what the particular disorder is, you may not notice that she's switching character in the middle of a scene. So. In the when it comes to Hollywood, when it comes to well, Hollywood, when it comes to any kind of fictional sure. depiction of mental illness on screen, I'd imagine that sometimes it's it's played up mm. to give those people who have no context, oh right, so that's what they're doing, versus what it actually looks like, sure. which is you know it's like I don't know, 
It's like a fight scene. Yeah, if anyone's seen a bar fight, it doesn't look like the Matrix. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's over in eight seconds. <laughs> Although you watch those movies from years and years ago and they, they look like they're pretty horrendous fight scenes. Yeah. I'm they, glad they sensationalise it now. Yeah. They, you know, any, any fight scene you've seen in a movie where the guy takes three punches to the head and they're still standing, it's like, that's not what it looks like, <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, most UFC fight bouts are over in the first round. That's what a bar fight looks like. Yeah. And I guess that's the same thing. You know, you've got a kind of expand it and make it bigger so that an audience sure. can kind of, I guess, under, understand that. Sure. Um, just to, to ask you about, you had you said you had a, a dream of wanting to be a physiotherapist on the, the world tour of surfing, which is an incredibly exclusive uh, Lollapalooza, big day out style rock and roll festival of this incredibly exclusive brethren of dudes and the people that surround them. There's about 200, 300. It's a traveling circus that travels around the world for 10 months of the year. To the Don't most- forget the women, dudes and women. Yeah, it when wasn't I was with it, yeah, when I was you, with it yes, the, sure, women, the women were a part of it, but they weren't. <laughs> yes. The, the, when I'm talking about the women professional surfers, mm-hmm. they were quite overlooked in my experience. Yes. They were quite overlooked in the, this is 10, 12, 13 years ago now. Um, it may be very different now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, yeah, so a travelling circus of maybe 200 people that go around the world. The zoo. Uh, uh, yes, on the road. Any young man would want to be a part of that. Of course. At what, you know, what was it like for you? to realise that, oh, this thing that I thought I wanted to do, it isn't actually what I wanted to do. Was it heartbreaking to say goodbye to that dream? Were you happy to say goodbye to that dream? It was liberating. I mean, for me, it was quite a selfish view. I, I want to get paid to travel around the world and, and do fun things and, and also work. I guess what I then did was able to take a step back, notice what the opportunities were and what I could do instead of that, and it was it was so liberating just knowing, wow, this is this is actually a job that I'm really passionate about and I had no idea it even existed. So yeah, that was it was a it wasn't a, a negative at all. It was a really positive thing to go, hang on a second, I've just found my calling here. What did that feel like? <laughs> <laughs> like the sun shines down and you're super stoked. Yeah. But it's it's been super hard sometimes as well, where you go through ups and downs and just like life. Yeah. Just like your emotions and your mood as well. So people, if they've listened to this podcast for a long time, would know about One Way Was All It Takes. You said you got there in the, in the second week. What did it look like on that second Friday? So Grant, for those people who haven't heard about it, Grant's amazing story of being diagnosed with bipolar, his way of coping through that was actually getting home to New Zealand and, and going surfing and using that time with his mates and his dad to really connect and say, well, well this is really why I'm home because I'm recovering from mental health issues and, and it's time to talk about it. And he used surfing as that way of connecting with people uh, on a really level playing field. So he dressed up in, in something like a really bright clothes and went surfing one day and he called it a board meeting. So he was going down there and, and wearing what he wanted to wear to work, but his boss wouldn't let him. So he had a, a bit of a business on the top, party on the bottom kind of situation, boardies and a shirt and tie. And he was surfing down at Bondi. And I had a mate tell me about this and I thought, that's incredible. This guy is out there trying to start conversations and get people to say, what are you doing? You know, what's this all about? And that was the start of a conversation which literally have changed thousands of lives since. So it, it was quite basic, just a 6.30 surf in, in every Friday morning. And now OneWave has reached over 130 beaches around the world. 
and had people call in from different far corners of the world that have said, thank you so much, guys, for what you've done because you've actually given me a voice to now speak up about my mental health issues. So four years ago, as you would, I'm sure you'd understand, Osh, it was less and less conversations. Now it's more acceptable to say and put your hand up and say, I'm, I'm not okay. Mm. I'm not traveling as well as you know, I'm putting out there to all my friends. Um, things aren't great. It's more acceptable to do that now. But back then, Grant was so courageous in actually saying, well, stuff this, we've got to do it. And I believe that that's changed a lot of the perceptions around our age demographic and especially in Bondi. It's like, oh, you're dressing fluoro, you're going down to Fluoro Friday. It's all about mental health and well-being. Mm. <clears throat> What's it feel like to be able to, when you're doing occupational therapy, you're definitely dealing with you're one person at a time. You can only help one person at a time. In fact, if you tried to help too many people at a time, you probably wouldn't be able to give them the quality of care that they deserve. What's it like to be able to scale helping people? I don't know how many positive affirmation words I can use today. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. It was it was so incredible to see that it was sort of spreading, almost like dropping a, a dye in some water and watching it spread and watching the ripples go out. And I guess you've got your 26 clients on your caseload and you're working through that, but you are restricted. And so being able to help people on a more of a population level mm. and run program group programs and have people come down from different walks of life, it's just incredible. That's, I think that and, – and you see it uh, in the States. There's a thing called uh, talk space and you, it's happening here as well. But this idea that, you know, un- unfortunately, a lot of mental health treatment is one-on-one mm. and – there's just not as many hours in the day for uh, you know a mental health professional to help a client as there are clients. It's and I think that's the great challenge that we face is how can you scale, mm-hmm. how can you scale care, mental health care to make it more accessible to more people. And this is a, a really interesting a really interesting way to do it. What did you th- when you first arrived and you and you first met Grant? What what did you feel that you know you could bring to what was it even called One Way Was All It Takes at that point? It was. Yeah. It, he had um, founded the organization and he had the, the handle and he said, he this is it. But we didn't really know what it was at the start. It was, you know, he had the concept of a board meeting and then it morphed into brighter clothes, more fluoro. So then fluoro Friday became a tagline and, and a thing. What was it like moving through that? I guess it's a really interesting conversation because and something I'm really passionate about because I've come from within the health service of New South Wales Health and I've seen the robot turning and, and the restrictions of that one-to-one caseload and, and the inability to pivot like we were talking about at the start and with OneWave and with what Grant was doing, it was able to just move with and be very malleable with what was happening in the community. So we basically were the perfect couple we were brothers in arms and he came from it with the lived experience perspective and I came from the professional perspective and we were able to tackle issues and, and talks and do seminars and things like that from both angles, which was wonderful because we complemented each other. And that's where we said to each other, well, we want to try and help more people. We want to get more people in the water and give them that opportunity to potentially use the ocean to save their life. Mm-hmm. And we've heard that quite a number of times as to thank you, this has actually saved my life. I've been on the edge at times and I've turned to the ocean thanks to what you guys are doing. Now, it got to the point where we said we're only helping the people that can get up and get down to the beach early, those people that are well enough to to get out of bed, like the A-motivation we were talking about at the start. We couldn't see them. So we wanted to... A-motivation is the word 
when people are feeling really unmotivated and they no. can't get up. So my, right. my, my jingo. No, no, no. It's, it's important. To, that's, that's the word for it. Yeah. Like, I couldn't be fucked. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot be effed. I am not getting out the yeah. whole fucking day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the A, the A motivation is like, oh, I see it on Instagram. That looks like a fun thing to do. <laughs> oh, it means I have to go out my front door. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, right? Right? <laughs> so how could we then help those people that needed help even more? And so we constructed a program. Well, I designed a program based upon the clinical um, background that I had as to almost simulating that hospital group but putting it on the sand. So not making it sterile or clinical or really like, oh, I don't want to be here and talk about my feelings. It was, you know what, come down, come and get involved and come and be a part of this surfing experience, which is what we called it within OneWave. And it was so successful and we had so many great results that people wanted more and more programs. And so that's where we said, well, we need to kind of formalize this and structure it in a way where we can really drive these programs. So we registered as a charity and hence the, the reason that the Waves of Wellness Foundation came about. So then One Wave took all of the Fluoro Friday. So they do all of the around the world beaches and on, on Friday morning and Grant does an incredible job of actually managing all of that. I don't know how he does it, to be honest. And then the more formalized structured programs is where we founded the charity and then that's where we have generally what it looks like is an eight-week learn-to-surf program for 10 people. We've got 10 volunteers, so a one-to-one buddy system, and the surfing instructors are in fact the trained mental health clinicians. So they've got that background. They know how to bring up those concepts around surfing in a really, really controlled way that's going to make people feel comfortable, help them feel comfortable, but also we're doing so much before you even get to the water. It's all about being able to talk in that sort of, we call it a talk circle, and we have a discussion topic every week, which is based around mental health content. And so what we found that there's some amazing things coming out there when guys come down, they're first a little bit apprehensive, and then as you watch them move through it, you're watching, like you said, that sense of community and that sense of social inclusion. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Where we're catching these people who would otherwise have fallen through the cracks. How do they get involved? We link up with community centres. We've linked up with... Um, non-profits, we've promoted it through social media and we've found people that would never access services, like I've mentioned, were coming to us through mainstream social channels. Right. So it's almost turning things on its head and not saying with the, the, the traditional way of dealing with health, we cannot post on social media and we have to do all like this and it's, you know, hierarchy. Mm. We were doing a bottom-up approach where it was let's just give it a whirl, try it out. 
obviously we covered all our bases with risk and, and linking up with surfing organizations before we became the registered yeah. training accreditors ourselves. But it was just being flexible, being able to think outside the box. And that innovation point that we discussed is, is what I think is really important to be able to, I guess, make sure that we're constantly making things new and innovative. Is the sort of thing where if someone is struggling that a mate of theirs can say, oh, you know, hey, Rebecca, maybe you should go check out this. You bloody bet. Yeah? Absolutely. Okay. And Fluoro Friday is a great way to do that if they're able to get up and get down there. If, if that's a little bit out of their reach, then the surfing experience mm. is, is exactly that. Come down. I can support you getting there. I can be there with you and support you through it if you want. Or so helping them actually get from home to the beach? Huge. Absolutely huge. Because you know, going back to what we, you, I mean, I'm just thinking back to when I was when I was sick, yeah. Um, and I would go sometimes three days, four days without leaving the house. Mm-hmm. I okay, I was Andrew back then. Um, all right, so you're going to go out of the house, meet someone you've never met, uh, and go down to do a thing you've never done with people you don't know. Yeah. No way. Hell no. No way. Yeah, uh, no. I'm staying at home, playing internet poker, and drinking. Yeah, right, <laughs> that's what right? I'm doing. <laughs> and so there's, we talked about the baby steps. Yeah. So taking it step by step, breaking it down to work out what that first step is for you. Hey, Andrew, what is it going to take to get you down to the beach? You know, it's probably going to take two years, and it's going to take a whole lot of stuff. It's t- if you look, getting the jitters just even thinking about like how sick I was back then. Absolutely. So you would oh, never have said yes to something like no this. No way. But in order to get someone to that point, it's being able to just work with them really closely and, and really confidently to say that, you know, it's, let's not think so far down the track that it's unrealistic. Mm. So when we say helping them get down there, we work with their support worker, with their friends, with their community of people around them to actually assist them in getting there. And once they've got that comfortability around the group and that social inclusion element sort of clicks into place, they're like, of course, I feel like a valued member of this group now. Mm. I'm, I've got that bit more motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you when you are doing something like this, though, you know people may ask, "Oh, it's just a bunch of you know patchouli smelling sage burning claptrap hippies, yeah, yeah. Right. hippies, ocean power of the mother oceans going to heal you." But the science behind what you're talking about, right? Absolutely. And through your recent podcast with Eastkey Britain over in Ireland, she's doing amazing stuff and talking about the science and actually evidencing that mm. we've got. Doctors in psychology and, and psychiatrists, which are doing amazing things. And I'm a part of the International Surf Therapy Organization, ISTO, and that is a bunch of you know eight founding organizations around the world which are actually coming together and sharing knowledge, sharing data, and pushing that research to actually prove what we've got is a scientific evidence thing. There's evidence, evidence-based practice. It speaks for itself. We know it works, but now we need to put the data into place to be able to push it further. And that's why I've just registered for my master's in psychiatry. It's a bit overwhelming, really, with everything else going on. But it's something we're really stoked to, to push. We need to be able to prove this because you do have the naysayers. You do have those people that say, oh, surfing is just for hippies. But what we've actually done is we've taken that quintessential element of surfing, which is seen as that cool word in the Australian society, and then mental health or mental illness is seen as very uncool. So by combining them together, we're drawing mm. that out of the darkness and it's do- we're saying it doesn't have to be scary. We can make it fun. We can all talk together and all work through it. So 
because there's so many. I mean, and Iski talked about this. There's so many metaphors when it comes to oh, surfing. There's so <laughs> many metaphors when it comes to surfing. It's like you really, you 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 can't be bigger than the ocean. The ocean, no matter what you, no matter how hard you try, you you can't. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's an element of respect. There's an element of uh, humility. You have to have humility in the face of it. Um, Sometimes a, you can't go over. You just got to go through. Exactly. There's surrender involved. Um, but then there's also the the aspect of you know you know being out in the sun. If you haven't been out outside in a week. The sunshine actually feels pretty nice. Mm. <laughs> That's also pretty good. But you said um, to, 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 and I'm guessing you're going to do your master's in this so you can write a paper about this? Sure thing. Right. Yeah. So I'm basically evidencing surf therapy and the impacts on a youth demographic with mental health issues. So is surfing effective and what are the outcomes that we're getting from it? Uh, it's it's so exciting. I mean, over the last four years of running the surfing experience, we've seen some amazing testimonials. We've had people say that one said it's saved my life, one said it's changed my life. It's so incredible on a daily basis to get feedback from people that said, like, if I didn't have this, I, I don't know what I would have. Mm. And to have a non-pharmaceutical intervention that's over and done within 10 weeks, it's pretty amazing. For those listeners who can't see me, my hands are like <laughs> waving, waving and praising Osha. It, absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's quite often in traditional medicine and psychiatry, there's a push to, you know, just give them antipsychotics, just give them antidepressants. But bear in mind though, like... They play their role. When people are really sick, they and if you sometimes. can't figure out how to help someone, if you just want to throw a whole bunch of sedatives and just tell the person, you know, you can save someone a lot. You can really help someone Absolutely. by just like turning the volume down a long way and then slowly turning the volume back up again. Yep. Right. So yes, yep. indeed, those things happen. And, and I'm only saying that because that's what I needed. Uh, yeah, and, <laughs> and I've heard this. and Absolutely. And so that's why with the program, for example, we never disrespect medication. Mm. But we have actually a theme one week. It's called meditation versus medication. Okay. And it talks about the fact that everyone's unique and we need to respect their journey through that. But sometimes, well, I'll give you one example. We had a young girl that came down and she said, I went to the GP because I wasn't feeling great. And instead of saying, you know, have you tried this? Let's try this. Let's work together. Here's some antidepressants. I want you to take them. And there was no discussion around that. It was, it was quite an uneducated view yeah. to just say, drugs are the answer for you right now. And maybe they were. But what she did is she said, respectfully, I'd, I'd rather decline that and I'm going to try out this surfing thing that I've been you know, recommended. Mm. She came down. She got so much out of being involved with people. It obviously wasn't for her the chemical imbalance sort of thing that, that was the key. Mm. It was the more being around people and being able to lift her mood and get her up and get her motivated mm. where she was a new person after eight weeks. So for me, it's, it's something that we really need to be open to is to trying things different and trying that non-medical sort of model a bit mm. more. I, but what you just said makes me – it grinds my teeth. You know, uh, I know GPs can uh, di- uh, um, prescribe antidepressants, but for me, antidepressant, is, it's not like the here, take the amoxicillin and the bacteria will go away. Right. If, if, as a GP, if you're, I mean, it's my opinion only, if you are prescribing an antidepressant, you are committing to seeing that person as a follow up every week and saying, like, and my old doctor used to say this to me that the drug is, is one wheel of the car. And there's five wheels in every car front, left, front, right, back, left, back, right, and the steering wheel. The drug is only one wheel and no car works without all Love five it. wheels working. All right. It's, it's, like the the idea that nanopresent will just fix it, it's like that's 1950 psychiatry as far as I'm concerned. 
you know, mm-hmm. that's just like take some Valiums and it'll it'll be fine. Um, and I'm sorry that the, the, your you know that your client had that experience. Sure. Um, but you know, I yeah, that that does piss me off a bit. <laughs> and then you take it to the next level, right? Yeah. And then you've got. Doctors who are prescribing much more mm. severe antipsychotics, for example, or the, there's a couple of drugs out there which we don't need to, you know, name and shame. But basically, if you get put on these things, if you're psychotic and it's an antipsychotic that you're placed on, you could put on 20 to 25 kilograms in three months. Yeah. If they don't have an understanding around what the implications are on the body and the anatomy and what drugs need to counteract that, like metformin, for example, which actually is a really great thing to substitute with then they're not giving that person the, the greatest shot that they can and mm. they're not doing the follow-up, like you say. I had a young guy once who was that two-year journey where he hadn't surfed, he'd been unwell for that long in psychosis and it was through me saying to him, what do you want to achieve? And he said, I want to go surfing. And I guess this is the story which we probably should have talked about at the start because this was the, the light bulb moment for me. Yeah, I actually made a clinical judgment that I'm going to take him surfing as part of our one-on-one sessions. And admittedly, I didn't tell my boss. I probably would have had my balls cut off for this decision. But we went surfing and we were out there floating around for 30 minutes. We got so much further in 30 minutes out there floating in the ocean than we did in three months working together. And it was so evident to me that we need to think outside the square. We need to be able to do things your way, not my way. We need to do something that the client wants us to do or the individual person and make it about them. If we don't do that, then what are we doing? We're not actually having you know, a recovery-focused approach. We're just saying that I think this is what you need to do and you should do that. Mm. Mm. But what you mentioned about uh, the weight gain, that was de- that's definitely a part of, a part of my story. Uh, yeah. A- absolutely, yeah. It was so good to be finally – only in my experience to finally be on the – I was on two different kinds of antipsychotics uh-huh. at one point and two others. So I was on four drugs a day. It was so nice to finally have this break from the shit that was going on in my head until about five weeks later when I couldn't fit any of my clothes. Sure. I, lit- I literally was wearing track pants everywhere because mm-hmm. I had no more clothes to fit. And I was like, oh, man, so I had to go see my doctor. I'm like, dude, I've got no clothes left to wear. I've, really, I've got none left. We've either got to do something about it or I've got to rob a bank so I can get you some shopping, <laughs> right? No, 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 it's all right. I could, have, I could afford new clothes, but, you know, I work my job. Yeah, I, work, right? I work on the TV and if I start putting on weight, people notice and people did. Sure. Um, How did you deal with that? Like it's, it's a really complex thing, right? And it's, it's hard to sort of all of a sudden go, well, this is working and we're five weeks down the line and I'm – were you feeling better and then you had to change your regime? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, at the time I was cycling 250, 300 Ks a week and I was still putting on weight. And that just goes to show, you know, it, 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 those particular drugs that I was on, they just they fundamentally changed how you, metab- how you metabolize food. Absolutely. All right? It, and I was climbing Runyon Canyon, which is a, you know. Over think, in LA? Over in LA. Yeah. So I was, I was climbing Runyon Canyon every day. I was riding 25 miles a day. Um, so I was running up mountains every day of my life. They are hard mountains. They are. And I was still putting on a kilo a week. I, I, um, I really, really was. Um, and then it's like, it's like any drug. It's like, well, what's the benefits? What's the side effects? You know, you can take Nurofen because you've got a headache, but you've got to have to be aware that it can fuck your stomach if you're not careful. Mm. Right? It's not, no drug is harmless. You're always putting something in your body to, to change you know, the way you feel. Um, and certainly with the drugs I'm on at the moment, I'm on a fifth of my starting dose. Uh, which is, you know, it doesn't come without its 
you know, I'm, st- I'm a bit twitchier than I used to yeah, be. And that's, yeah. you know, I've had to manage everything else, you know. It's, so you've, you've weaned down to that level where you've maintained. Yeah. Your, and that's yeah. kind of, kind of where I am at the moment. I'm still deciding whether I'll go back up again. Sure. Cause you know, uh, particularly with the stresses that we talked about earlier with the, you know, leaving radio and stuff like that. Oh, it's a bit hard, man. <laughs> that's Absolutely. Some, had some difficult days. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, can I, can I manage using the other four wheels of my car? Can I manage with, you know, diet and exercise and sleep? Let's um, go through all those, all your five wheels. Yeah. So you, you, we've talked about one, but yeah. then you just rattled off a few then. Oh, sorry, sorry, diet, exercise, uh, and sleep. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, personal relations, like dealing with people, like so- sure. socialization. For sure. But that's, that's, so that I, I, I always talk about those things on this show because they're, they're four things yeah. that are f- fairly cheap, if not free for everyone to do to instantly make themselves feel better. Yeah. You can, you can get another half hour sleep. You mm-hmm. can, you might miss your show. But, you know, you can get another half. You can go to bit half hour earlier. I'm grabbing Osh's second my, finger, my exercise. Finger. What do you, I, I can actually help there. Yeah. Have you been surfing for a while? No, I have, I have not. And this, is, this bothers me greatly because we moved into South Bondi when um, I first moved in. Uh, Audrey and Georgia and I first moved out together. We lived in another apartment. Yeah. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to go body surfing every day. And I was going down with Georgia. I was going every morning. We were going body surfing before school. And it was awesome uh, for about three days. And then I rolled out of a wave, hit a sandbank, and uh, uh, dislocated my right shoulder. Oh. And fractured my humeral head on my right shoulder. And that was it. <laughs> so I moved next to the beach with bought surfboards and everything. <laughs> I haven't been on a surfboard in ages. Ages. Well, I live ages. in Bondi. It's like a stone throw away. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you up and go, oh, we're going surfing. <gasps> I've got a 9-4 Takayama downstairs that I haven't ridden since I got home. We're definitely going to <laughs> You've got to take that. You've got to get the dust off that thing. Your tacky's yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, I miss, my 9-6 was the one. My 9-6 got stolen, though, when I lived at Bondi. Mm. Uh, so if you ever see a beautiful yellow 96 Takayama with a artwork of someone playing guitar underneath it, it's the only one of its kind. It's mine. Okay. Yeah. Well, we've got a few boards out in the ether together. Bond, I, I got six boards stolen from a garage. Oh, isn't that the worst? Yeah. It was it's, like when I, I've had a guitar stolen and it's just like, it's this, I don't know, it's just an object. I know, it's just a thing and you can buy another thing. But it's this thing that represents so much and it's this thing that you sh- you have with you when you are doing these amazing adventures around the world in, in, in some cases. Mm. And then it's gone. It's almost like you're putting, maybe these people are stealing because they're in a much greater need than we are. Yeah. But there's so much bad energy around that stealing is that it doesn't just go with the object. It's just, ugh, it's such an icky thing for me to think back to that moment when yeah. I actually found the guy in my garage. And he'd been stashing him away and then got arrested by the police. It was just chaotic. The same guy had been coming all the time. Speaking of trauma. (laughs) Oh, really? He'd been coming the same night? it was the same night. He'd got it open. He'd just been doing loads and stashing it around the bushes. And then I found him in there really early one morning and ended up tackling him on the road, breaking my kneecap, calling the police. They all came and they arrested him. And then he didn't tell them where where it was. Anyway, we digress. What? But it's just, I don't want to think about that sort of negativity because it's like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, is, that is rough. Well, the way I, I am in the ocean now uh-huh. um, is uh, scuba diving. Nice. And that's really, really something. If you want to you get some humility mm-hmm. around you and you want to get some presence of, of how you fit into the world, as Carl Kruzelnitsky said, earth, wrong name, water. 
ocean is what our planet should be called. 70 something percent. Are you a dive master or an advanced no, diver or anything? I'm an advanced diver. I'm not yet a, not yet a dive master. How good is it? Mate, we just came back from, uh, we were away 10, two weeks in Fiji and Tonga. Oh. And we were diving in a marine protected area in Fiji. And there's nothing like uh, holding hands with my wife, Audrey, as we, so actually, you know, what was the, the most amazing thing was um, the dive instructors where we were staying took Georgia, her, her friend came with us because we're old and she's 13 and Jeez. going on holidays by herself with us, worst thing in the world. So we took a friend with us, which was really cool. And so the two of them did the discovery dive in the pool. Uh-huh. And then rather than just go off the end of the pier where they normally do it, we managed to get the girls to go out to a, like a really easy dive site. It was only about 12 metres for 14 metres. And we got to be in the water as the girls came down the line for the first time. And it was just the coolest thing ever. These two friends have known each other since primary school. These two friends just like, God, look at that. You could see them pointing and being so excited and, and breathing underwater. And there was a moray eel. and Just freaking amazing. And so to... So to be there, and the other thing that we did was we went to Tonga and we went and swam with the whales. How you, good is that? My mate, brother's a photographer and did it recently. Mate. Holy hell. You want to, you want to, you want to, speaking of a metaphor, you want to feel humble, go and lie face down snorkeling in ocean so deep you can't see the bottom, go and float on the top of, on the surface, um, 15 to 20 metres above an animal as big as a bus, all right? And then with oh. two flicks of its tail, this 30 tonnes of animal is completely airborne out of the ocean above you, all right? Oh, my God. And just utterly mind-blowing. So whether you're snorkelling with whales or scuba diving with man rays in Fiji, there's that sense of being underwater as almost like a meditative Meditative. I can never say this. Meditative. Meditative state. Yeah. It's beautiful, isn't it? You have to relax because if you don't relax, you go through your gas too quick and then you have to come up. Right. So you have to relax. You have to relax. It's, it's, it's the greatest. And, and, and so, um, that's, that's sort of, that's sort of what I'm, you know, what I'm getting to now. But yeah, I need to surf a lot more. And, um, hopefully I've got, I've got to go away for work. But when I come back, what am I looking at now? Sorry, I don't let me interrupt you with that. No, I'm getting shown a, I'm getting showed a YouTube video, and this is oh, oh yeah, that's a breach. Oh my god, yeah, that's, that's Tonga. Very yeah. similar to what I saw. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's my brother in Tonga. He shot this. Yeah, your brother shot that. Incredible. I've seen this video all over the internet. Twin brother. Your twin brother shot this. He's pretty talented. Huh? What's it like being a twin? I mean, you don't know any different. Exactly. You get asked that question all the time and you're like well i couldn't tell you what it's like not to have a twin right but it's magic you know sure we have our ups and downs and we go through tough times where we don't agree and have some pretty tumultuous disagreements on things but it's amazing to have like a partner in crime someone that you can share life with was goodwill call it uh goodwill's got a twin he said he's my womb mate womb mate (laughs) womb warriors (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love it. So what what do you I mean, so you've started Waves of Wellness, which is uh the the 10 week program mm-hmm. and and are you able to spread this program uh 8 week program? Are you able to spread this uh beyond the neighborhood that you're in? Is it is it spread further than this city? Absolutely. We've got programs in three states now. So Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland, and it's just spreading like wildfires. 
it's it's that element of like we want this can you come to us because there's nothing like this out there mm. no one's thinking about you know therapy in inverted commas in a really creative way where we can actually get a lot out of yeah and we've even had people like movember come to us to move over the next two years into a whole new well-being program, which is identifying people who would never come down to the beach otherwise, who are like you and me in, in somewhat of a high-functioning life, but they've got mental health issues. They're struggling, but they're just pretending they're not there. Right. So and especially with men's mental health and that sort of thing, that's why Movember really stoked to get behind us. But I guess I digress. That the, There's just been so much support for these programs that they're growing like crazy. Mm. And then we've got the... I guess the best way to describe what we're doing with Waves of Wellness, we call it WOW, W-O-W. WOW has three arms of support or waves of support. And one is the surf therapy programs or adventure therapy where we'll move away from the ocean in good time. Then we've got education programs and then we've got corporate. So with the education, we've got, you know, I wrote a book, a children's book about mental health, which is based upon Grant's incredible true story. And using that now as an educational resource to move into the classroom and start those conversations so young that mm. we can actually start to change the way that people think about it. Yeah. You know, if we are trying to reshape our values based upon traditional, our parents and their parents' view on mental health, then we haven't got much luck. But then if we're starting that young, these, these kids have a different way of being able to talk about their emotions in a way that, hey, it doesn't have to be depression. It can be, oh, I'm, I'm feeling upset. And then as the years grow older, we can talk about that in more and more depth. Mm. Mm. It, it does also give the opportunity to then to then leapfrog uh, a whole generation or a whole um, yeah, version of treatment right? Uh, rather than, you know, the kind of slow progression. Um, it certainly gives you an idea to at least test it out, which you have been doing. And, and I'm sure you, the idea is that you're going to try and get this program uh, as far as, and wide as you possibly can. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I love what you just said there, Osh. It's, it's all about being able to give people the skills to be able to manage and cope with their mental mm. well-being before it becomes that issue, which it's moving that way with this current day and age. Yeah. So we're, we're packaging people up with the skills to be able to move through it and hopefully stop them from becoming that longer-term diagnosis. Yeah, I mean, I first got uh, captured by the mental health system when I was tw- 19. Mm-hmm. What was it like back then? I was 19. Well, it wasn't that far ago, long ago. Yeah, 24 years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, you're, young, you're young as. I'm 43, but um, I was really, really lucky that they found me. Uh-huh. I was really lucky that they found me, but you know, I, I wonder what a, you know how different my life would have been if if you know things had been identified in me when I was thirteen, fourteen. You know, well, they were clearly there. I was weird. <laughs> we're all weird. <laughs> I was weird. I was very strange about certain things. So imagine if someone came to you and said, "Hey, we've got this education program at school at the moment. We're going to catch up with these guys. These, you know, we we pitch ourselves as really laid back surfers that mm. the kids want to talk to rather than that scary doctor kind of approach." Mm. And imagine if someone came to you, it would be so different, right? Yeah. So, but I would have been terrified to go surfing because it would have meant taking my clothes off, and I was. Uh, Obese at the time and ding ding horrified by my own body. Yeah, so <laughs> I would have gone. Nope, Fair enough. That is not happening. Fair enough. <laughs> so in your, you know, you're about to embark on, you know, you've put yourself under a lot of pressure. You're you're, you're putting your own, you know, professional uh, uh, reputation uh, on the line to uh, do a master's in psychology to to do the research around this program that you are you are behind. That is an enormous amount of pressure. How do you deal with? Uh, when things get difficult? I love that question. I'm so glad you asked it. <laughs> That's another oh, moment. 
basically, I haven't been doing a great job of that lately. And I go through ebbs and flows like we all do. And I only had this discussion last night with my girlfriend. We were sitting in bed and we were saying, we aren't looking after ourselves enough because we've just gone to bed at 11 o'clock at night after working into the night. And I mean, having that support around you to identify it is the first thing. But for me, it's all all about being able to bring that balance. And there's discussions around balances out the window, work-life balance sort of thing. But for me, that's surfing. Uh, if I get, I normally get up and go surfing every morning, um, six, six, six a.m. And then I just get my day started and go to work. If I'm not surfing, it's telling me that things aren't traveling great. I'm under a lot of stress. I'm going to bed late. I'm not being able to cope. So I just say, no, I can the surfing side of things. And I went overseas to the Mentawis recently, then South Africa for work. And it's, I've been back for about three weeks now. This morning was the first morning I went surfing. It's just like, you know, it was uh, like the sun came out. I, I saw this fresh weight off my shoulders. And for me, that's my coping strategy. And I guess that's why it's so easy to push this and say that, you know, waves of wellness and one wave and mental health and well-being through surfing. I'm so passionate about it that it almost speaks for itself. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm results that it works. Right. <laughs> 20 years of surfing, it means that I've been able to keep sane in those really tough times because I've got out in the ocean. That, yeah. That bullshit barrier that I step over in the shoreline and just nothing can touch me while I'm out there. What does it look like when, when things aren't great for you? How does your life look? Rushing. Yeah. Sort of teetering along at this level where it's superficial. You don't, have, you don't do anything well enough to, to do it well and finish it. And then you're trying to fit too much in. And then you've almost got the jitters because you feel like you've got to keep moving because you're so tired, but then you've got stuff to do. And it's quite hypocritical, isn't it? You're running a, a mental health and wellbeing charity, which you're trying to promote positive mental health. And you're almost cooking your own mental health in the process. So that's where I'm trying to practice what I preach by doing more of meditation. You know, they say that when you're, you're 20 minutes meditation a day is what you should normally do. And when you don't have time for that, you should do 40. <laughs> so you're like, oh, God, here we go again. Yeah. But it's, it's so important. When you're flying along at that million miles an hour and yeah. you have that opportunity to switch off, you realize, wow, I haven't let my heart rate go down. Or I haven't let myself calm in days. Yeah. No, especially around bedtime. Yeah. You know, like that's it. If you, if you, and I, I, you know, I know I try as hard as I can to try and get off the phone before bed. It's never, it never works. Um, <laughs> but I said, you know, it's the worst. I have this alarm that goes off at 10 p.m. And if I'm still up, which hopefully I'm not, not these days, it says no screens in capitals. So I have to turn off my screen and it turns yellow after that so that you can have that like iris sort of protection when you're getting ready for bed. Wow. I definitely recommend that. I go to bed at nine. Good, good if That's a late night. I'm, I'm lucky because I'm on daylight saving at the moment, so I'm, I only get up at 5.30 at the moment, but I was getting up at 4.30. Oh, wow. All year, yeah. Radio, radio. Yeah. yeah. And if you had an alarm go off, would you listen to it? I used to have in my old house, I had my old, in, in Venice Beach, I had my whole house like on, on automation stuff. Nice. And I rigged it so that my TV and everything would turn off at 10.30. Brilliant. And my favorite TV show, TV show started at 11. So I was like, because oh, what I was doing, I was staying up to one in the morning. Was there an override switch? Doing nothing. Oh, you had to stay off? No, uh, I would, over, the override was my own laziness because I had to sneak Good. around behind the TV to, to touch the button. Foolproof. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go to bed. Oh, I guess I'll go to bed. And that was my... Um, Good shout. That, that, was how I, that was how I did it. Until there was this, I had a, I had a girl over once and, and she was like, 
And the thing went, I went, oh, bedtime. And she freaked out. She's like, no one tells me when to go to bed. Okie dokie then. <laughs> well played, sir. This reminds me of my old life. This is before I moved. Yeah, yeah. This is a long time. Andrew Love. Yeah. No, I don't know. I was Osha then. Yeah. I was Osha boy then. Um, but, so, no, but that's, that's important. When you, when you said uh, you, um, you, know, you, you, well, you identified that you weren't doing great, you talked with someone close to you about it, mm-hmm. uh, and then you took some action. Yeah. And, and you got up and went surfing. Yeah. But um, what if you don't know how to take the action? Yeah. What if you don't have the background or the understanding that I do around well-being and what I need mm. to do for my, what I call a recipe? It's almost like you have to go back to the drawing boards and find the meal that you want to cook up that's mm. right for you. So, and when you pull those ingredients to make up your meal in, and that recipe needs to be right for you to feel good. Mm. You know, if you don't have that, it's all about being able to then figure out and work out what it is that makes you feel great. Mm. And we talked about what is a what is a right for every person is happiness. What makes you feel happy? Mm. If you don't have that, then try different things. I, I know I've certainly got, you know, you have a, an emergency plan is a bit too much, but I guess a protocol, like a thing that triggers, you know, a, 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 a course of action nice. in, in your life. And then there's certain, you know, if I feel a certain way, I'll do one thing. If I feel a certain way, I'll do another thing. But most of them start with... Stop what you're doing, drink heaps of water, breathe for a while, cool. tell someone, uh, and right. go do some exercise. Cool. And generally, after I've done those three or four things, I, I feel a whole lot better. <laughs> and then what I do next kind of varies on what's going on. Brilliant. But I'll notice that, you know, because you get so, I get so caught up sometimes, I forget, you know, that, that these things, and even if I don't feel like doing any of those things, I know every single time I do them, I feel better. So just, Cut your shit. Just do this thing on your list, and then you'll feel better in forty minutes. I love it. You know what we call it in? Um, it's it's quite scary way of calling it, but it's relapse prevention plan. Oh yeah. In a clinical term, so we're stopping you from falling back into those bad habits. Yeah. And so for me, my relapse prevention plan is surrounding myself with people who understand me mm. and can call bullshit and right. say, "No, nah, you're telling lies. You're not traveling well. Let's do something about it." Yeah. RPP. You down, you down with RPP? Yeah, you know me. Yeah, you know Aud- me. <laughs> Audrey's, uh, Audrey's very, very good at that. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's great. Mate, it's been great to have you. Thank you so, so much. If people want to, it's a charity. Yeah. If people want to support WOW, how do they do it? Absolutely. Foundationwow.org. Yeah? Yeah, foundationwow.org. And you can find out about all the different programs we run. You can donate if it's something that really, you real, feel really passionate about. You know, by the time that this goes to air, we would have had our, our Waves of Wellness Black Tie Charity Wall in Sydney. Fantastic so, fun. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I would say, though, that if you are worried about your own mental health or someone else, then just check in with them. Mm. A lot of the time people really shy away from asking those hard questions because they're worried that that person might get offended mm. and might feel like, oh, I'm overstepping my mark here. But more often than not, that person will thank you so much for being able to identify and, and trust in them that, you know... I, I need help. How can that conversation sound? Are You Okay is a really great organisation which we're you know, great friends with and they do it really well by, by doing it in four steps. But regardless of, of whether you're asking that question, you need to remember that they might say no. So being prepared for that. But if it's a simple, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. And then they move on, being able to dive a little bit deeper. And being able to say that, you know, how are things traveling? I've, I might have noticed this lately or I haven't heard from you in a while. And when that usually happens, you've mentioned that you, you're quite 
often feeling down. Mm. So just being able to make it a little bit more personalized to them and, and really tread lightly, but don't feel like you have to tread so lightly that you don't ask the questions, the, mm. real, the real questions. Okay. Yeah. And the, the, the follow-up you mentioned, you know, if people say no, what, what are some follow-ups for, you know, people might be listening to this and go, oh, actually, there's a mate of mine that I need to call her and, you know, see how she's going. Yeah. What, what do the follow-ups look like? What is the next step? So first things first, if someone says no, then you don't have to know all the answers. You're not a doctor. You don't have to tell them how to solve their life. You just need to be a friend to listen. And so hearing them out and just checking in and saying, look, I don't know exactly what to tell you right now. I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to find out. Or maybe we can work through this together. And then they feel like they're not alone in that big, wild, scary world. Yeah. Which it, it at the time, that's what your brain's telling you. That's the, well, my, my case, that's what my brain telling me. It does kind of... Uh, it's almost like when you spin a pair of binoculars the wrong way around, things that were really small look humongous, and it, and, and it can it can really distort your perception of how big something is. Yeah. Um, and you know you can always go take them for a walk on the beach. You, know, yeah. you never know what you might see. Right. <laughs> Jump in the water and just wash it all away. Yeah? All these metaphors will come to life. Oh, metaphors! Is this your? I've kids got book? a gift. I've got a gift for you, mate. This is your kids' book right here. Yes. It's this a is stand for you. up, stand out, and Joel Pilgrim, illustrated by Mitch Rebs. It's okay not to be okay, and there is a – is that a cockatoo in a pair of budgie smugglers or is that a budgie That's in a pair a of parrot. Budgie? That's Parry the Parrot. The Parry the parrot, parrot in a pair of budgie smugglers on a surfboard on an incredible shore break that looks at well, this looks of things. Um, <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So oh, this, this is, is the cool. children's book about mental health. Oh, wow. That's super cool. Based around Grant's true story. It's just incredible. And that's a gift for you and for Gigi. Oh, man. Well, she's 13, but... Uh. Hey, it's never, it's never to... <laughs> we've had people who are, you know, 45 to come back to us and say, blow the kids. This book's amazing for me. Yeah. I love reading it and checking it out. And there's so much detail in it for the adults as well. Oh, man. You know what's super cool is the, uh, the, cartooniz- the cartoonization of you and Grant. Um, on the back cover is actually pretty good. I recognise <laughs> that, that photo. Just read that, that bit up the top there. Just like the waves of the ocean, so too are the waves of our emotions. You see it rhymes, so yeah, it's true. The whole book rhymes. That was hard to do. But it's a really good way to, to end this podcast because things don't go in straight lines. No. Things aren't great all the time. Sometimes you go through real shit times. Mm. But it's being able to ride them out and know that it's not going to last forever and being able to take the ups and the downs as you get. Because that's the lie that your brain tells you, yeah. that this state is permanent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when, you know, we've talked about it on the show before, that's when people look for permanent solutions to temporary problems, mm. which is what we're all trying to avoid. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thanks, man. When are we going surfing? Oh. I'll tell you off air because there's something I can't talk about on this <laughs> podcast. But before the end of the year. Brilliant. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that was Joel Pilgrim. You can find him on Twitter at Joel S. Pilgrim, J-O-E-L-S-P-I-L-G-R-I-M. And just let him know you heard him here on the show. Sorry, I'm whispering. Just where I'm recording this right now, I can't really talk loud. So, Hi. It's the Whispery Podcast. Um, thank you very much to everybody that helped me make this show today. Thank you very much to Andy Marr, my producer, Haley Van Spani, my production coordinator, Toe Hider for the music, and you 
for listening. Thank you very much. If you need anything through the week, you can always find me. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That's where you can send your podsy photos as well of whatever it is you're doing right now. I'd love to see a picture of it. Until we talk next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.